Good morning to you all. We are going to carry on our series, Preparing for the Crisis, and we've covered presentation number one, Preparing Our Hearts. Today we would like to present to you Preparing Our Homes, other ones in the series, uh, Preparing Our Finances and Preparing Our Worship. Do you think it's important to be in the right place at the right time? Now, the photographer, the cameraman, was in the right place, wasn't he? What about the osprey? Osprey was in the right place. How about the fish? No, wrong place for the fish. How about being at the airport gate on time? Is that important? How many of you have ever missed a flight? Rain family have their hand up. (laughs) We were traveling to the airport. It was BWI, not far from here. And it's not a nice feeling to think they're boarding now and we're still in the car, stuck in the traffic. It's probably taking off now and we're just getting to curbside. It's not a nice feeling. The plane has gone. What about camp meeting? Ever been late for camp meeting? We know a family, this is Indiana camp meeting, we know a family several years ago who arrived at camp meeting on Wednesday and there was nobody around. And they waited and they waited and finally they found out they'd missed it by a week. It was the week before. Can you imagine how awful you would feel had little children at the very next camp meeting in Oklahoma the next year they were at that camp meeting, though they didn't live in that area because they did not want to ever miss camp meeting again. (laughs) So being in the right place at the right time is important. I think we all agree with that. As we near a deeper crisis in this world, where should the family be? We need to be in the right place at the right time. You know, we're coming up to the point where families need to be in the country. We need to be in the right place at the right time. I kind of got ahead of myself there. But is downtown the place to be living at this point in Earth's history? How about suburbia? How's that? How about in the countryside? What about the wilderness? Children, help me out on this. We're going to put some ticks and crosses. So downtown, what do we put there? A cross. What about the next one, children? A cross. Very good. What about the next one? Yeah, we know the answers, don't we? We're going to break this message into three sections. First section we're going to look at is why we need to get out of the city. Secondly, we're going to look at how we're going to get out of the city. And lastly, we're going to look at what we're going to do when we get to the country, having left the city. As we said in the previous presentation, life in the cities particularly, but in this world in general, is very fragile. We, we are set ourselves up that we just got to have one domino fall and it's going to affect a lot of people. We saw that last year, physically and spiritually. In the physical world, we have come to rely upon huge companies to supply us with water, power and sewer. Imagine what it's like in the city if the water doesn't come in and the sewer doesn't go out. 
it's not going to be very nice. It's great when it works, a bit like the computer. It's great when it works, but it's a pain when it doesn't. But this is going to be more than a pain. This is going to be disease, this is going to be chaos, this is going to be panic. We've all seen what it looks like in the city, the chaos of a city when there is no power. When there's no power, people can't pump the gas. No power, there's no traffic signals working. You see what that chaos can cause. When there's no power, you can't go to Walmart and check out your cart full of goods. It's not going to work. When there's no power in the city, when it gets dark, there are no lights. But there are lights. (laughs) Because what happens is they switch on the um, backup generator and things go as normal. The... uh, if they're not, the generator's not going, they've got a big bank of batteries down in the basement and it keeps things ticking over for a while. But you know, most of all, when the power goes out, what we are thinking, what most people are thinking, is somebody's going to fix it. You know, some, some employee's going to be up a pole or down a hole. <laughs> like, like at this, this seminar, this camp meeting here, the water pressure was down. So what do we presume? Somebody's going to get a backer up there and somebody's going to dig a hole and somebody's going to fix this great big pipe and it's going to come back and we're going to be fine. And praise the Lord, that's what happened. But what happens if that's on a bigger scale and it can't be fixed? You know, some of those massive great big transformers that they have in the substations, they are so big and they are so horrendously expensive that they don't keep them in stock. (laughs) They have to order them. They take a couple of years to come. (laughs) Did you get that? Without power for a couple (laughs) of years. A couple of years? I don't know if that could happen, but to put your faith in man, I know, is not a good thing. Our faith needs to be in God. If we have a home in the city, we need, listen carefully to my words, we need to be making a plan to get out. Now is not the time to be waiting for a more favourable time to move out. We need to be developing a lifestyle that is less reliant upon the infrastructure. Because if we are relying upon the infrastructure built by corrupt human beings, we are going to get let down. And our family is going to get let down. And it might lead us very much into temptation. We're going to look at why we need to spiritually get out of the city. You know, the cities today, would you agree that they are hotbeds of iniquity? Is it a place you really want your children to hear and see everything that's that's out there available? Every form of vice is present. And you know, as we put this presentation together, it was my job to go find some of the pictures. And I was to go find pictures that illustrated life in the city. Friends, I was horrified at some of the options available. And we finally decided you could fill in the blank in your own mind. You didn't need any pictures to describe what the typical average American city is like today. This is a good picture though. It illustrates life in the city. If you think the city is bad, then it's a lot worse than you think. (laughs) You are only looking at the tip of the iceberg. You are not in some of those places at two o'clock in the morning, or at least I hope you're not. You don't know what's going on, and I don't know what's going on, but I know that it's not good. And that's putting it mildly. 
The city is full of iniquity. Today's cities are the modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. Somebody has said, and I think it's, it's, it's got some truth in it, if God doesn't do something soon about LA and Chicago and New York, then he's going to have to make an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because the iniquity today, is, it's bad, brothers and sisters, and we need to be out of it. <clears throat> we really do. How about sending our children to school in the city? Or how about just our lives in the city, working in the city? I know there's a lot of work in the city, and that is, um, that is the reality for a lot of us. But look at this man on the picture. He's just walking down the street. Do you suppose that he is being influenced by what's around him? Oh, most definitely. You and I, we are influenced by what is around us. By beholding, we are changed. Whether we perceive it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether we recognize it or not, our views of life are changed by where we live and where we spend a lot of our time. <clears throat> our worldview is affected. What we view as right and wrong is affected. You see the billboards. They make you cringe at first when a new one comes out, but after a while, it's just life. It's altering our thinking. <clears throat> what will make us happy is affected. Eternal realities are minimized to the point that we feel at home here. But this is not our home. This is not our home. <clears throat> Raising Christian children in the city is harder. We're told, send the children to schools located in the city where every phase of temptation is waiting to attract and demoralize them and the work of character building is tenfold harder for both parents and children. Therefore, if you're living in the city and it's ten times harder, it must mean that when you move out, it'll be ten times easier to raise your children. Do you want something that will make it ten times easier? Absolutely. Who does Absolutely. You know, I'd like to, I just want to make things easy on myself. So I was determined I want my children to be raised in the country where it's going to be a bit easier. Now, friends, let me tell you, if you're in the country already, you'll know it isn't easy anywhere. <laughs> there are still challenges. You still take self with you to the country when you go. Still got to deal with that yucky old stuff in there. But it's a bit easier. Ten times easier, we are told. You know... If you profess to believe in the soon coming of Jesus Christ and you are not actively making plans to move out of the city, I'm going to say it fairly boldly, I think that's hypocrisy. Now, I know that's a pretty strong statement. I'm not saying if you're living in the city and you really want to get out and you're trying, I think... You know, some of us are left in a holding pattern for a while. We're going to share our experience where, you know, we didn't get to land where we wanted to land for two and a half years. But we were intent on it. We were putting effort towards it. We were praying about it. But if you are content to be in the city and you're saying, Jesus is coming soon, that doesn't stack up to me. God's people need to be coming out. Come out of her, my people, and get ready for that great day. You know, 
We'll move on. <laughs> so, we're going to look at how we get out of the cities. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. You know, it is not getting easier each year to move out of the city. Did you know that? For those of you that have already done it, you know what it took to achieve that. Those of you that are trying, it's not an easy process. It's getting harder, but I want to encourage you, it is still possible. If you are determined in your heart that you are going to move out, it is still possible, friends. We could tell you story after story. In fact, for us, this very camp made here in New Jersey is a very exciting place for us. Because if you look around you, there are people, if you were here last year and the year before, there are people who are not sitting here today. Not because they were discouraged, but because they went home and they determined by God's grace somehow it was going to happen for them. There are people sitting here today who it has happened for over the last few years. So if you're sitting here feeling like, I know I've got to do this, I just don't know how it's going to happen, be encouraged. It is happening. It is happening to people all over the U.S., over there in Europe where we just came from. It is happening for people as they are determined. But... It's not going to be a breeze. It just doesn't land on your plate. We're going to share you our story, how it didn't just land in our laps. It was determined effort. But God is well able if we are determined. I just want to tell you one story of a family that was here last year. And we spent some time with them in a back room here. And there were things we were talking about, but... One of the things we talked about is we have a desire to move out to the country, but our house isn't finished. We're kind of remodeling, and that was causing some stress. What a joy it was. Thursday, no, Tuesday of this week, we were packing our bags to come here, and they called us. And the the man was speaking to me, and he says, Paul, you'll never guess what. My wife put her house on Craigslist. And it's not even finished yet. I said, you're crazy. That's what she said to him. Oh, that's what he said to her, sorry. And you know what? Inside a week, somebody came, made them a good offer, deal done, no realtors, now they're living in a fifth wheel. And he's like, God did it. Now what happens? I said, well, God did it, God will do it. Just keep going. But it happens, brothers and sisters, but they made it a matter of earnest prayer. We actually said to them, we, we, we know we them pretty well. We saw them in a different camp meeting from Oh this yeah, it was another camp meeting. And yeah. we, they knew what they wanted to do. They were just hesitant. And so we said this to them. This is fairly, we haven't done this to many people. <laughs> Don't even talk to us again until you've got the house on the market. And they said, okay, we'll send you the pictures of the for sale sign in the yard. And they did. And they did. But it didn't sell for a little while until they put it on Craigslist. Anyway, our story. Let's share with you our story. In the album, A Fresh Look at Country Living, we give a whole hour and ten minutes to what we're going to get in the next ten minutes. So if you want the expanded version, it's on the back table. And I just want to add into it, there's a message in there called, Led to the Country Twice. Because at that point, we'd actually moved to the country twice. Well, just in case you're wondering if we've experienced anything to do with country living, we've now done it three times. So we're going to share with you three different ways that God can move you to the country. I'm hoping we're done now. But we'll find out. So when we lived, uh, we were born and raised in England. And that little dot in the centre there is Lutterworth, England. You might remember that town, Lutterworth. It's where John Wycliffe lived and preached many, many years ago, back in the 1400s. My boy asked me, were you around when he was around? No, not quite. There was, you know, about 600 years difference. But 
that's where we lived. But Lutterworth is a very busy place now. You know, it's, it's a metropolis along with all the other towns in England. So we were looking in um, Wales. You see the circle around there? Wales is very mountainous, it's very rural, there's less people. So we were looking there and we spent a lot of time looking in Wales. One of our problems was, it was just a little problem, but we didn't have any money. Not any. We'd come back from being missionaries. My father was dying of cancer and we nursed him. And now we were all done with all our missionary endeavors. We wanted to move to the country. So if you're feeling like, well, this is all great, but they don't know. I haven't got any money. Well, guess what? Neither did we, not anything, when we started the process of looking. It's really a funny feeling to go into a realtor's office and he says, what's your budget? Well, just show us the cheapest thing you've got because actually you haven't got anything. (laughs) But it's a process. You've got to start somewhere. We didn't find what we were looking for in Wales. And so we moved our search up to Scotland. Now, something you need to know about Scotland is the weather is terrible. I mean, it just one low-pressure system after another comes sweeping over the Outer Hebrides and into the mainland Scotland. My wife thought, because she's quite an introvert, she thought that would be a great place to live. I found... It was like 10 acres on the Outer Hebrides. I was looking through the realtor stuff, and I got really excited about that. She got really excited, but I'm thinking, sweetheart, I'll have to get on a boat, a train, and an aeroplane to get to work. <laughs> you know, I don't want to spend my whole life going backwards and forwards. That's not... We didn't have children at this point. But, um, <clears throat> so we spent a lot of time, a couple of years, looking in those two places, and we, we were living that verse, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And we were doing it on a shoestring. So we would wake up in the morning in our little tent, borrowing her dad's car, because our car wouldn't have made the long trip, and we wake up in the morning to snow. We thought, man, I thought it was cold last night, you know. But we were desirous of finding that country home. Eventually we moved our... <clears throat> oh no, let's tell them about what we were living in. Whilst well, we were doing whilst that. we were looking at friends, there's lots of sides to this story. If you haven't got any money, you might be earning a bit, no matter how little it is, you've got to start saving. And so we lived on the minimum we could live on. 150 square foot travel trailer. We lived in it for six years. On a trailer inside? park. You want to see what it was like inside? There's my kitchen. It was kind of cute, actually. When I see the pictures, I just remember it was a lot of fun. But we were so focused on this is what we are determined we we're going to do. We were prepared to live on next to nothing and save. And, you know, the little we had, it began to build up. Soon, we had enough to start looking around, didn't we? We did. And... This was something, you know, I need to tell you, if you start looking for a country property, if you're anything like me, girls, you'll get emotionally involved. I want to encourage you, don't get emotionally involved with property, because you're going to get heartbroken. I was emotionally involved, which was the first thing we saw, tucked away in the hills of Wales. It was a derelict building, but I thought this was going to be it. Well, it wasn't it. Neither was the next one. (laughs) This one wasn't actually something we could buy. This is something we could lease for 15 years. But it made it within our, our price range. And Providence opened up. We got to stay there the night. Of my birthday. Of her birthday. I mean, <laughs> praise the Lord, this must be it. You know, and our parents said, well, can we come and see it? Yeah, because we needed to borrow a little bit of money from our parents to make this one happen. And so we, they came and they liked it. Must be the Lord's will. You know, we got really excited about it. And... One thing we learned in looking for property is, as well as putting all your energy into it, you've got to let God have the final say. So as we were, we'd made a lowball offer on this, and it didn't go down very well. So um, we thought, okay, 
we're pretty sure this is the one the Lord wants us to have. As you look out of those windows, it's looking out onto the ocean. It was a great place. Uh, there was a few other neighbours around that wasn't quite an ideal. You know, it was half an acre. But, <laughs> but this is England. You're talking real reality. There's not much land, you know. So we prayed, Lord, we feel, after my dad's advice, that we should offer the asking price. It's worth it. So we're going to do this now, and we're excited because we've been looking for a couple of years. Now, because we've been saving, we are going to offer the asking price, and we're going to get it. And we can pay for it. Wow. Well, it wasn't quite the asking oh, price, actually. It was, it was about a thousand pounds, you know, about two thousand dollars less, but it was pretty close. And so we prayed, Lord, we're going to do it. If you want to stop us in our tracks, then please somehow stop the deal, because... We're just about to go and make it happen with this offer. So I called the realtor, and I, I was pretty excited. You know, we've been looking for two years. And he says, Paul, I've got to tell you something. Something real strange has happened with this seller. He has said that unless anybody, you included, is going to offer the exact asking price, he doesn't want to even hear your offer. Even if it's one pound short, he doesn't want to hear it. Well, we couldn't quite stretch that last little bit. We knew we couldn't. So, I remember I was on the cell phone and Carolyn was in the store. She was in the produce department. I can still remember. And I walk in there kind of all downcast. I mean, we pray for the Lord's will. When he gives it to us, we... I said, sweetheart, it's off. She says, what do you mean it's off? I mean, we, we thought it was a done deal. They won't even talk to us. Why? And so we went through all of that. But we recognised... That you can't make it happen. The Lord has to be the one that's in control. So knock on every door, but just let the Lord close the doors if it's not the right one. <laughs> then we opened up our search to Southern Ireland. Now, that is a separate country. It's not ruled from London. The Queen has no jurisdiction over Southern Ireland. If we were to live there, it would mean that we are emigrating. Different currency, different, everything different. But we started, we got, uh, we got a magazine, kind of like a newspaper, called In the Sticks. <laughs> Great name, <laughs> don't you think? And uh, houses there, what was £80,000 at that time in England, was £18,000 in Ireland. We had that much by now, we'd saved that much, and we were like, wow, we could buy one of these sticks, things, <laughs> In the Sticks. <laughs> so we got on the ferry, and a friend of ours joined us, and we headed over to... Southern Ireland to look around the properties and the realtor the realtor had done a great job he said this first place I think it's the one you're going to buy it's ready to move into ready to move into and we everything we'd looked at so far apart from that last one wasn't ready to move into this was ready to move into and it's it's just outside of Limerick City by about 45 minutes up on a hill we'd looked on the map and it was great location so we're excited to get there we're going to show you a picture ready to move into remember well, well, it was. I mean, the fact that it didn't have any glass in the windows and there wasn't any plumbing or any power or any roadway, really, that was into it. Other than that, I guess it was kind of ready to move into. I mean, you could have slept in it. Well, I don't think I would have wanted to. <laughs> so, you know, we got, we got to re we're sharing this with you because if you're earnest and seeking, you're going to hit reality pretty quick. We hit reality fast, and it can be painful. So we're just preparing the way that you're going to hit reality. When you're there, you'll go, oh, yes, we're not the only ones. So we moved from this to now my husband fell in love with this idea. This was the next picture. What do you think to this, ladies? 
Oh, no. We gave a name to things we found. I called this one Demolition Cottage. Actually, that was my name. Oh, if that's you remember, right. Yeah, you were going to smash it down. I wasn't ever intending to live on this. This was, you know, like those ads, this was location, location, location. I mean, the building was. It really was. It was a great location. And I figured we could get a dozer in there and we could flatten that thing. We could use all the rubble to make a nice concrete pad and then we could just put a single wide or a double wide on there and we would be in the country. It all worked in the budget. But my wife was looking at that thinking, How would you feel, girls? <laughs> this is your dream home, roses round the door, ready to move into. I kind of felt sick. But I want to... I Not kind of sick. <laughs> she was physically, you know... But uh, I want to stop right there and encourage you that the Lord is in the business of changing hearts. Did you know that? <coughs> and overnight, that night, I didn't sleep very much. That night, I was praying, Lord, if this is your plan, please change my heart and make me willing. And by the next morning when he got up, I was ready, girls, to do that if that was God's will. But, but the realtor had told me, oh, if you're interested in this kind of property, this is for sale by the Forest Service. The Forest Service have a couple of others, and he showed us where they were on the map, so the next day we went here. Now, by comparison, doesn't that look a little bit more doable? When I saw this, I thought there are four solid walls. There's a roof that's intact. I think this would almost be doable. And I walked up to the hill behind, and I'm just there going, Lord, this feels kind of funny, but I think I could live here. Well, do you want to see what it's like inside? It was 18 inches deep in bone dry and didn't smell cow manure because the cows had been in there. But as I kicked the stuff across the floor, it was all dry and there was concrete underneath. And so when I went on the hill to look, he thought, she's, she's done with this. She just wants to go back to England, forget this whole country living thing. Meanwhile, I'm going, Lord, this is crazy, but I think I could live here. Well, we bought it. It was on two acres. Two acres, $20,000. Good deal, huh? You pay $20,000 for that? Four sides, Forest Service, back off the little county road. Just what we were looking for. Okay, it needed another 20000 worth of work on it. But hey, one step at a time. So we started renovating this. Do I have any experience building? I'd never even built a brick wall. I'd never even... I didn't even know what a stud wall was. Never mind, ever done one. <laughs> I had a little course on electrics one time, but we started work on this and my wife said the windows are small, it's going to be kind of dark in there and, you know, let's get bigger windows. Okay, get me a sledgehammer, we'll make a bigger window. I'm partway through knocking this out and spoke to my dad and he said, uh, what are you doing about lintels? And I said, what's a lintel, dad? You know, a lintel is the, uh, the piece of stone that goes across the top of the window to stop everything above the window just falling into the window. <clears throat> like the roof and the, all the masonry above it. <laughs> I said, well, I hadn't really thought about that. He says, you need to put some lintels in. Okay, well, where do I get those from? Are they expensive? You know? Anyway, we just kind of went and bit by bit we got it together. So we had a bigger window. We started doing some sheetrocking in there. But it was fun, wasn't it, dear? It was fun. It was progress. It was progress. And after three and a half years, there it was finished. We were debt-free. It was hard work. 
But it was fantastic, friends. It was, the, it was like heaven on earth for us, for me. It was a wonderful place. We had both our children were born there, able to really start raising our children there. Yes, it took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, all of those combined. But we had the dream we were looking for until... Well, let's back up. My wife said it kind of quick, but we were debt-free. And we were in the country. And we had two children. God had blessed me with a computer business. I was working four days a week. And I wasn't leaving home till ten. And I was back at four. And one of those days, Monday, I was at home doing all the paperwork. And it was enough to live on. We'd gained an influence with our community. Because I was working with all the schools and all the Catholic priests. And you know, all kinds of things was opening it up. And it's like, Lord, you have blessed us. And he had. But... That's not the end of the story. It was a stepping stone, we found out later. Yeah, we didn't know that at the time. I remember we were digging potatoes, remember that? Because we planted the vegetable garden. And Carolyn and I are talking, and I said to Carolyn, do you feel like this is your forever place, that you're going to be here till Jesus comes? Oh, yeah, she says. (laughs) This is it. I mean, this is what I dreamed of. And I had to bear my soul and say, sweetheart, I don't think I can live here forever. Good job we talk about these things, huh? (laughs) Anyway, as Providence would open it up, there was a ministry over in the United States of America, up in the northwest corner of Montana, called Restoration International, that asked us if we would come and join them. And we said, well, we would like that, except for we have a business and we have a house, and, you know, an English person can't just live in America, we need visas and... You know, my business is such that I have warranties out there. I am the warranty. I don't feel like I can walk away from that. And they said, we fully understand. So I said, we'll put it up to the Lord. Lord, if you sell our house, if you can sell our business and cover those warranties, and if we can get a visa, we'll consider that your calling and we'll go. House sold to the first person that saw it. Remember, we paid paid 20,000 for it. We put in another 20,000. How much is that, children? 40,000, and we sold it for 100,000, and we lived there for three years. That's better than the stock market, don't you think? (laughs) And we had family time doing it. Our household, the business sold to my competitor, he actually gave me money for it. I was amazed. All I wanted to do was get rid of the warranties, and he actually paid me money for it. It was actually... We were about to sign the deal. It was December 1999. It's pretty hard to sell a computer business in December 1999, if you think to what was going on in the world. But we were both convinced nothing was going to happen, so we signed on January 2nd, I think it was. um, And also we got a visa in six weeks, unheard of. So we said, okay, Lord, off we go. So we set out for northwest Montana, and we figured with that $100,000 in our pocket, now we had to buy a car because we, you know, we sold everything over there. That, I mean, Montana, what do you think about Montana? You've got to be a nice little country home for the Rain family in Montana. I mean, there's, there's lots of country homes in Montana, isn't there? No. No, there isn't. There isn't me- there's much lots of, of country. There's not, there's not much of anything in Montana, <laughs> except mountains and rivers and lakes and forests and trees. But there's not many houses. I mean, there's less than one million people in Montana. I don't know how many is in New York, but, you know, it's not very many people. 
But after seven months of looking, we rented a place for a while, but after seven months of looking, we purchased this home. Now, it's a little bit bigger than it looks because it had a full daylight basement down there. The Restoration International office was in the basement. The two children's bedrooms were in the basement. The main living area was on the main level and our bedroom was up in the loft. And we had to add 50000 to our 100000 so we had to take out a mortgage after all that work of being debt-free in Ireland to make it work in Montana, we had to take out a mortgage. And that is reality. Even though debt freedom is what we're aiming for, sometimes that's what we have to do. So we took out a mortgage for $50,000, but we were going with the absolute maximum payments we could make. If you're, if you're making minimum payments on your mortgage and you're just kind of stretching it over the long period of time, as Edwin and Maria said a couple of days ago, it's not the best plan. We need to get that thing paid off. Deny yourself many things to get your mortgage paid off. You want that from underneath you, especially as we head into a deeper crisis. We settled in and we enjoyed planting a garden together, taming the wildlife and just being a family in spite of now traveling a whole lot for the ministry, going to 3ABN and doing these different things. But we began to just really enjoy time also in the country as a family. But you know, you have trials in the country. Some of you might have heard in a different message the time that we got back from a camping vacation to find that our well had run dry. This is actually a picture of the new well being drilled and they had to go down 787 feet. Now that might not mean much to you. I know that means something to Marty because he drills wells all the time and they go down to about 80 or 100 feet. But we had to go down nearly 800 feet through solid rock. It was a six-week process, and it cost us $28,000. We were trying to get out of debt. And now we've just added $28,000 to the mortgage. I mean, talk about discouraging. Talk about, Lord, where are you? But God is in the business of getting us where we need to go in our characters. And so he will take any opportunity he can to have us rely fully on him. So the, we had to have some new cables laid, new pumps. That's, that's all that made the price up to $28,000. A friend of mine said to me, um, Tom and Elaine's son, Josiah, he said to me, Uncle Paul, you could have bought an airplane for that much. I said, thanks, Josiah. <laughs> But, you know, I don't, I don't need to think about that. <laughs> so after a while, my husband would say, you know, this debt just really bothers me. I just, it, I just want to be rid of it. And I'd say, well, you know what, that, I'm one of these detail people. You know, he makes a statement like that. I'm talking about what that's going to mean. Sweetheart, that means we've got to sell this house. I mean, this is our dream home in the country, isn't it? You know, we've done it twice already. Surely this is it now. And so we wouldn't talk about it again for a while. Just not we were arguing. We just kind of, you know, we'd discuss it and it didn't really go anywhere, so we'd leave it alone. And about three months later, he'd say, you know, I'm just feeling really burdened by this debt. Somehow we've got to get rid of it. And gradually the Lord began to work in my heart that I was actually open to even think about leaving my second dream home. Because I knew what it was going to mean, friends. I'd looked around. There was only one option out there. We were going to have to build it. I didn't really want to build it. We just renovated that place there in Ireland. And I was kind of done with all that mess and dirt and stuff you have to deal with when you build. Thought we'd moved on in life from that. But the Lord 
is in the heart-changing business. If you haven't experienced it, give it to him because he's going to do it. He began to change my heart so that by the time we came to move, I was even more enthusiastic than my husband was. God can do that. It's a miracle, but he does it. So to cut a long story short, we sold Dream Home number two (laughs) for the sole purpose of removing debt. But we sold in 2006. That was a good move. Of course, we didn't know what was going to happen in 2007 and 2008 to home prices. But we sold about two months before the market peaked in Montana. So when we sold our place, we sold it for... $375,000. $375,000. It didn't cost us that, friends. It cost us one sixty, and we'd lived there for five years. We, we started off living in that caravan, that trailer that you saw at the beginning, and we didn't have a penny. We went to the realtor, and we're serious. We didn't know how we were going to pay the electricity bill, never mind buy a house. <laughs> but now we sold this place... And that was enough for us to give back the, I forget what it was, 60 or 70,000, back to the credit union. Now we're out of debt. So then we'd, we'd done kind of what we called a feasibility study, and we had our eye on this piece of property. It didn't have a, uh, an excavator on it at the time. It was, it was just trees, and my wife fell in love with this 40 acres. And she kept saying, that's where we're going to live. I said, sweetheart, it's sold. He's telling me, you've been there before, don't get emotionally involved. I says, I'm not. I just have a deep down feeling that that's where God wants us to be. So that was kind of hard for me to take. (laughs) I'm not emotionally involved, but that's where we're going to live. I get it, dear. I get it. Guys, you've got to listen to your girls sometimes. (laughs) But she she was spot on. She was spot on in most things, actually. I'm learning to trust her on that. But... You know, we sold our house first, we, we purchased a fifth wheel, here it is, just a 10-year-old fifth wheel. We lived in that, had a slide out, gave us a bit more room. There's a picture inside. Inside as well. The children so, thought they'd been deprived, because for six years when we lived in our travel trailer, they weren't on the scene. See, we were pretty smart. <laughs> they weren't around at that point, so they kind of felt like they'd missed out. So then they got six months worth of this. Did you get enough, do you think, children? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can see Hannah's face right now. It's quite a picture. Oh, she was, she'd had enough. <laughs> anyway, the Lord opened it up for us to buy that piece of land. And we, after we got the, the septic system in and we bought a generator so that we could have power, we, and we got telephone in, we moved up there in the fifth wheel. We started clearing the trees like you see there. Let's go back. Clearing the trees, trying to make a home site. And we knew there was a place on the property where we'd be able to see the pond and the view. Couldn't see either of those at the time because it was a forest. But we started working with that and we opened up a spot and we started building... We'll go back through these. We started building the house. Now, we... I was part-time on building the house because I had a full-time job already travelling all over the country with Restoration International. We were still homeschooling the children, although that got spaced out quite a bit. So we had a couple of contractors doing most of the work. They were the ones with the nail guns and the ladders. I was the general contractor. That's actually quite a bit more work than you think. (laughs) I remember being at the Indiana family camp meeting and the contractor calling me, Paul, what are you thinking about insulation? Oh yeah, insulation. I forgot about that. Um... Well, I suppose we better, we better do something. He says, yeah, we better do something because <laughs> the sheetrock is coming next. Okay, well, so, you know, it, was, it wasn't all perfectly planned out. But God led us step by step. 
It was great family time. Here's Caleb the worker. Do you think, boys, do you think Caleb had fun building a house? Oh, yeah. Can I do this, Daddy? Can I do that, Daddy? Caleb, come down off that ladder. (laughs) You know, you don't have to be up there. It scares the life out of me. But, you know, he was adventurous. And um, here's the drainage crew. It's okay. This was just after we got back from 3ABN. One minute they're on 3ABN, next minute they're laying drains in the, in the ground. But that's real life. So in May 2006, we sold our home, purchased the land, and it was six months to the day from the day we closed on the house to the day we moved into this house. That happened, it wasn't an accident. We live in a snow belt area, that means you can get four or five feet of snow on the level in the winter time, and we're up there in a fifth wheel. You're not going to survive up there in a fifth wheel in five, four or five feet of snow. And so we had six months to get up and then out again with that trailer so that we could move in. And the Lord blessed, it was hard work, friends, really hard work, trying to do be a homeschool mom, be a full-time in the ministry, be full-time building a house. It wasn't easy. We don't want you to go away thinking, oh, it's just going to be a real breeze, just move to the country. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be the best thing you've ever done, and it is possible if you're prepared to trust in the Lord like you can and like we've experienced. Do you think this can happen to you? There are families not sat in this congregation today because it's happening to them. I'm not saying you don't come to camp meeting if you move to the country, <laughs> don't get me wrong. But well, you've got to come to back to encourage everybody else who's thinking that they need to do this. Let me read this to you. More and more as time advances, our people will have to leave the cities. Will have to leave the cities. <clears throat> For years we have been instructing that our brethren and sisters, and especially families with children, I believe these words are very important, should plan to leave the cities as God opens the way before them to do so. Or as the way opens before. And many of us leave it there. Okay, Lord, when you open the way, we'll go. But the next, par- the next sentence is crucial. It says, many will have to labour earnestly to help open the way. It's not going to come down on a cloud. You're not just going to look in the newspaper and say, oh, there's my dream home. Ring, ring. Oh, and somebody wants to buy ours. Great. Let's go tomorrow. (laughs) It doesn't happen that way. Your character development is far too precious for God to give you an easy ride. Moving to the country, the very first blessing you get in your characters in moving to the country is actually getting there because it's a process. So, so far we've looked at why we need to move out of the cities. We've looked at how some of the ways that we can get there, and now we're going to last and look at what we do when we get there. You know, moving to the country is not merely a change of address. Country living is a change of heart. Country living is a change of lifestyle. Everything changes. Country living is a change of your priorities. And lastly, and why we include it in this series, is because moving to the country is preparation for what is ahead for the city dwellers. It really is. You know, it is hard to get out of the city because what is happening there is you're having to maintain your old life. I'm going to call it your old life. 
your old friends, your old church, your old job, all those things have to be maintained, but you're looking for a house at the same time. So it's not easy. But when you get to the country, it isn't any easier. We're not trying to talk and tell you this is going to be easy. This is going to be good for you in the long run, but it's hard work. Generally, when you get to the city, there's garden work. Uh, when you get to the country, there's garden work to do. Have a garden. Grow your own stuff. It's been great for us to be eating our own lettuce all winter, most of the winter. What a joy. I mean, that might not mean much to you, but that means an awful lot to us. Because <laughs> we planted those little bitty things from seeds. And, now and we're it tastes eating. so much better than the stuff you get in the store. You can break it. <laughs> and it breaks. It doesn't bend, it breaks. Anyway, that's another story. But, you know, in the country, there's generally a lot more yard work to do. This is us planting the lawn. We're not talking about, you know, 20 by 20. We're talking about, you know, an acre. That's a lot, of, you know, that's a lot to mow. That's a lot to... But it looks pretty. <clears throat> It's further to town and further to church. This is reality for us. Town is 50 miles one way, and church is 30 miles the other. We love it. <laughs> you will too. There's wood to chop, because we heat by wood. It doesn't cost us anything. It's great family time. In the winter, especially where we live, there's snow to remove. Sometimes we do it with a tractor when the tractor's working. <laughs> Sometimes we do it with a shovel when the tractor isn't working. It's, it's work. Believe me, it's work. <clears throat> you know, country living is simple living. There's less stress, less rush, but there is hard work. There's going to be trials. We could, name, you, we could spend the rest of the day sharing with you the trials that have come our way. But do we look like we're kind of, you know, pressed down and depressed and discouraged? No, trials are part of what's preparing us for eternity. It's preparing us for the crisis ahead. So once you realize that trials are your friends and not your enemies, you can get along pretty well with trials. You just kind of work, work, work your way through with the Lord, knowing that he's taking you along, and it comes, it goes, and you move on. You know, go ahead. I, I blipped her out on the screen. <laughs> We're going a bit heavy on the trials here. But, my friends... It's a lot easier to go through what you go through when you move to the country than it is to be stuck in a city when things start going wrong. When the time to perform is come, the time to prepare is past, we need to get out. No matter what it costs and no matter what it takes, we need to get out before the whole thing starts falling in on us. What happened in 2001 with the Twin Towers coming down, no matter how you believe it happened, it is a sign of what is ahead of us. I read that this morning in Spirit of Prophecy. That is a sign of what is ahead of us. You know, living in the country is a simple life. It's a simple home. The closets aren't stuffed. We don't have much stuff. When you open the drawer, it opens... And it closes real easy. It's not trying to... Because there's too much stuff in there. You open the garage, it's okay. There's room in there. You, you know, can see the floor. You can see the floor because there's only one car and a little tractor in there. It's not loaded with all kinds of stuff that we might need one day, you know, that we've never needed for the last 200 days. So, you know, we go to bed at a decent hour. Carol and I are mostly in bed by 9.30, the children by 7.30. We get up early in the morning. We have fresh air, exercise. We have time in God's Word. We eat a big breakfast. You know, we eat a big breakfast. We have vegetables for breakfast. I mean, this is different. 
and then we have fam- and we have family worship, and then we go off into our day. It's totally different out there. It's a new life altogether. We want you to experience it. It's a great way to live. You know, we grow our own food as much as we can. as much as not everything we eat. <laughs> It's real difficult to grow toilet paper. You know, you have to buy some things, but we buy in bulk. And my wife, as soon as those farmer's markets opened, she's buying all kinds of produce and stuffing it into her cans and canning everything. She cans everything. I say, you better eat it or mom will can it. You know, she just gets <laughs> wild on that. So, but it's great. I mean, the children... And they, they lo- join in too because it's just a real blast. It's just a lot of fun to it do. It teaches perseverance when you're on your 15th box of peaches. You know, it's like, whew. But... But then you get the kick about, let's see just how many jars we can actually produce today. <laughs> you know, we go to town once a month. With our travel the way it is at the moment, we go to town and then we fly out to camp meeting. We come back, we do a bit more shopping, we drive home. We stay at home till we go out to the next camp meeting. We don't go to town in between times. It's great. They have a bed, bath and beyond in town. It's been there for three years. I've never even been in it. Best Buy is next door. I've only been in there twice. It's great. You don't need those places. They won't make you happy. We won, well, we've got loads of stuff in here. We won one car, a newer car that's reliable, gets 26 miles to the gallon, and it'll go anywhere in snow. Anybody know what kind of car that is? Subaru. Thank you. (laughs) You know, our home, to go back to where we started, our home is connected to the infrastructure. We have regular power coming down the line. We have DSL internet coming into our home. That's how I, I, most of my work for the ministry we do via instant message and email and on the web and everything. So it's part of my work. Our children are 10 and 12. They have nothing to do with the internet. That's a whole new story. But if any of you've got thoughts, you can talk to us on that. You know, but if the power goes out, as it often does, heavy snow or strong winds, it's okay. We have a generator. We just pull the big switch, we start the generator, and life carries on. And so when our power goes eventually, it's okay, we'll, we'll survive, the Lord will look after us. You know, we have our own well, we did another one, <laughs> it's only 400 feet deep, and it issues plenty of water, we have our own septic system, we're not reliant upon the infrastructure. If we lose the internet, I say, praise the Lord. <laughs> We'll live without it. Yeah, we might not know what the weather's doing, but as my daughter said, Daddy, just look out the window. Yeah, we lost our internet for three days a couple of months ago, and it was a little bit inconvenient. And Hannah said, so what's really inconvenient, Daddy? And I said, well, you know, I'd like to know what the weather's doing. And she says, well, it's cloudy. It's like, okay, well, that'll do. (laughs) I bought a weather radio, but it doesn't work where we live. You know, if you move out there... You may feel alone, but you're not alone. Many great men of the Bible did just exactly what you want to do now. Moses, he was out there in the country. Joseph, Daniel, John the Baptist, and our Lord himself. So don't feel like this is only you and everybody else. Well, there is a whole stack of people there in the city. But many great people who made a lot of great decisions in life spent what time they could in the country. This is a a quote, and it's from a little booklet called Country Living. Some of you might have read that. What were the conditions chosen by the infinite Father for his Son? Okay, so here's God, and he's going to prepare his Son for his mission on earth, 
Okay, where, where should I best put him? Where would be the best place for Jesus to grow up? Maybe we can put him in a mansion down in Manhattan. Huh? No. Let's read the rest of the, the quote from this little booklet. The father chose a secluded home in the Galilean hills. Every word here is really important, I think. A secluded home in the hills, the Galilean hills. A household sustained by honest, self-respecting labour. A life of simplicity. There's a whole presentation in that one word. Daily conflict with difficulty and hardship. We call those trials. Self-sacrifice. Economy. That's a nice word for meaning absolutely flat broke. That's, that's character building. This is what God chose for Jesus. Economy and patient, gladsome service. The hour of study at his mother's side. With the scroll of scripture, the quiet of dawn or twilight in the green valley. The holy ministries of nature. The study of creation and providence. And the soul's communion with God. These were the conditions and opportunities of the early life of Jesus. If God chose it for his son, he wants it for you too, because he wants the same thing for you. Brothers and sisters, as we near the crisis that is ahead of us, and if you're not sure if there's going to be a crisis, please, brothers and sisters, just take it from me. We are, as one person put it, we are hours from the end of time prophetically. We're not talking about days now, we're down to the last few hours, maybe even the last few minutes. Even the world is recognising that. Now, I know that the crash kind of spiked everything, the financial crash, and now we're kind of getting over that, aren't we? The Dow's going back up and, you know, don't be fooled, brothers and sisters. We've got to know what's going on and be making preparations to be God's people, to give that final call, that trumpet, a certain sound. We need to be God's people. I want to challenge you, we want to challenge you. Now is the time to seriously think, okay Lord, how are we going to do it? Especially if you have young children. I'd like you to kneel with me as we close in prayer together. Father in heaven, oh I know it's one of the hardest things to contemplate, to leave the security of what we know, the job we know, the home we know, the friends and the family that we love. But Father, you have called us to be your people. And we recognise that life in the city is artificial, it's false, it's temporary. History has shown us that life is hard in the city when things get hard. And Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters here will take their opportunity, that they will labour earnestly to help open the way to make that move. Father, I am so glad that you put on Carolyn and I a burden to move um, several times, but especially a couple of years ago, that we remove that debt through your providence, and now we live in a home that's quiet and comfortable. We know we don't get to spend as much time there as we we humanly would like. But Father, we pray that you'd bless each family here with a desire to move out, to move forward, and to be ready. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen. Mm -hmm. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.